Sioto Ofa, and welcome back to the Tokyo Gamea podcast. In today's episode, we learn about the fascinating story of Elizabeth Mori, an American woman who was a stowaway in Tonga. We get caught up on all the events that are happening in Tonga Tapu, and some familiar names return back to the story. Let's start the show. <laughs> Before we continue, let's just do a quick recap. In the last episode, we took a detour from the story, and Mariner provided us some history and background on a famous Tongan navigator by the name of Kaumuala. Kaumuala had just arrived in Mava'u shortly after Mariner almost made it on a ship. But his return back to England was thwarted when the captain wasn't accepting any more passengers. To make matters worse, three of his crewmates from the Port au Prince were already on the ship. The chapter was a recollection of Kaumuala's adventures and insights into his time in Fiji and also time spent in Uvea. And we learn about the history of the Tongan phrase. Vete fa futuna, which goes back to an incident that happened in the height of the Tuitonga Empire, which happened about 300 400 years prior to Mariner's arrival in Tonga. Going back to Kaumuala, I did some research after I published that episode, and Kaumuala actually refers,、uh, I mean, in addition to the name of the,、uh, that famous navigator we learned about in the last chapter, but Kaumuala also refers to a team of wayfinders. And back in those days of、uh, navigation,、um, every galia or tongiaki, you know, I need to use those phrases because I hate saying the word canoe. When I use the word canoe, it invokes, you know, a little double hull canoe, a little popao, which is not the same thing.、Um, a galia or tongiaki could carry like hundreds of people. But anyway, going back to the story or going back to this information that I found.、Um, Every one of those Kalias or Tongyaki had a team of wayfinders, Kaumuala, and it was their job to help in navigation by providing information such as, and I'm just referring to my experience on the Hokulea with Nainoa Thompson, where I learned that wayfinding is basically spatial problem solving. It was a way for navigators to figure out lo- their location by. Observing the swells of the ocean, the temperature of the ocean, the color of the ocean, and even the same, applying the same thing to the skies. And what do the clouds look like?、Uh, what do the stars look like at night? This team of wayfinders, the Kaumuala, would then take all that information, provide it to the navigator, and then he would make his next decisions based on the information that the Kaumuala provided to him. So, if your last name is Moala, you come from a tradition and a heritage of wayfinding, and you should be very proud of your ancestors.
Alright, let's get back to the story. So we're looking at 1809. And Mariner says, Soon after Kamuala's arrival from the Fiji Islands, Finau received intelligence from Tupoutoa from the Haapai Islands that a canoe had arrived in Lifuka from the island of Tongatapu with a chief and two young Matapule. They came to petition Finau for pardon in behalf of a great chief named Tupo Malohi, elder brother of Tupoutoa, who had been long resident at the island of Tongatapu and had defended the cause of Finau's enemies. Okay, red flag, alarm, alarm. We all know how uh, Finau Ulkalala feels about people who betray him or people who fight against him. So, be interesting to see how this story turns out. Also, just a correction, uh, Mariner had stated in the book that they were brothers, but actually Tupo Malohi and Tupo To'a were cousins. There are some connections that uh, we need to revisit. We talked about this in previous episodes. But if you remember going back to, I don't remember exactly which episode, and I am not going to <laughs> spend the time researching it because I just want to record this and get it out of the way. But if you remember the incident where Finao Urukalala, uh, Tupo Niua, and um, some other chiefs who aligned with them went to Tongatapu to assassinate, um, Tukuaho. And while they were successful in assassinating Tukuaho, this also led to another war in Tongatapu. But um, I just brought that up because uh, Tupo Malohi, who this chapter, who is mentioned in this chapter, is the younger brother of that Tukuaho, the tyrant that was assassinated by Tupo Niua. And if you remember, Tupo Niua is Finau Ulukalala's brother. They have the same father, but different mothers. And then Tupo To'a is uh, Finau Ulukalala's brother, uh, same mother but different fathers. And so Tupo Malohi uh, gives an account of what's happening at Tongatapu to Mariner. And he takes all of that and puts it into this chapter of the book. I will also cross-reference this with some other articles and research, uh, published research, um, to just kind of fill in some of the gaps. And so let's continue. Mariner says, Tupo Malohi was chief at the time, the fortress of Nukualofa on the island of Tongatapu that Finau besieged with the four carronades, and afterwards burnt to the ground with great slaughter of the garrison. In consequence of Finau's vigorous attack, Tupo Malohi left it with such of his followers as could save themselves and fled up to the country to seek refuge in some other fortress. The chief had all along been unfortunate. At the time of the great revolution of Tonga and the early success of Finau, he had fled to Fiji with his followers and had resided there for some time, gaining experience in the art of war. On his return to Tonga, he built the great fortress of Nukualofa, from which he was afterwards driven by Finau as already related. He next took refuge in some other fortress from which, owing to the jealousy of the chief or some other cause, he was obliged to depart and seek shelter in a third, from whence he was driven by some untoward circumstance and thus he became in fact quite a refugee, nobody being willing to receive him in a sincere and friendly way. At length, however, he considered himself to have found a permanent asylum in the fortress of Hihifo with Deukava. The chief who made Finau a final present of the extraordinary well-trained Galai bird. Deukava received him and his followers in a very friendly way, considering them a great acquisition to his strength, for they had the reputation of being all great warriors, 
well-schooled in the military practices of Fiji. In my research, I found um, this journal article entitled Strategic Murders, Social Drama in Tonga's Chiefly System. And this journal article fills in a lot of the information that's missing. So let's, uh, I'm going to read some excerpts from it. After many years of participation in Fijian warfare, Tuku'aho's younger brother, Tupo Malohi, returned to Tonga. In Nuku'alofa, Tonga's later capital, he and his men constructed a fortress, and after the death of Ma'afu Olimoloa, he appointed himself as Tu'ikanokpolu. From the other chiefs, however, Tupo Malohi obtained little support, and after a while, the threat from the nearby village of Pea became such that he left his fortress in Nuku'alofa in order to join Teukava in Kolovai. And in the footnotes of this journal, we uh, find out that the fort was um, built on the Veyongo Hill in Nukualofa, and it was called the Siako Veyongo. And Siako Veyongo sits west of the royal palace. So back to the book. So here we have Tupo Malohi. He's a refugee. Nobody wants to take him in. And he ends up with um, Teukava in Hihifo. Mariner says, Teukava, literally to prepare the kava, is the chief who made Finau a present of the extraordinary well-trained Kalai bird. Teukava received him and his followers in a very friendly way, considering them to a great acquisition to his strength. Teukava at any length, finding that no enemy thought proper to attack him, resolved to lay siege to the garrison of Nukunuku. He was successful in his attack, but took in an inconsiderable loss of men. This being done, he determined, contrary to the advice of his Matapule, to garrison both fortresses. The reason the Matapule gave for the impolicy of this conduct was the readiness with which the enemy made their retreat, which they thought argued their intentions of returning speedily with fresh strength. Ambition and desire of larger possessions blinding him, however, to his own proper interests, he neglected sage counsel and dividing his forces reserved the choices half for his own personal safety in the garrison of Nukunuku and commissioned the rest to defend Hihifo. He had with him Tupo Malohi and his warriors. In the course of the following night, the enemy came down again and made a desperate attack upon them. Having resolved to burn the place to the ground, they had appointed 400 men to effect their purpose, each of whom were armed with spears and a lighted torch fixed at about a foot from the point of it. At a signal, every man threw his flaming weapon at the fencing or into the garrison, and by the aid of this new invention, the place was set on fire in several points at once. The besieged, with a view of rendering themselves more secure, had removed all of the drawbridges over the dry ditch round the fencing, except for one. There was no ready means of escape, therefore, from the conflagration, which soon spread far and wide except by one narrow path. Hundreds, consequently, were compelled to leap into the ditch, the sides of which were too steep to climb. Among these was Teukava, who, with several other great chiefs and warriors, managed to get out by climbing up the back of those whose fidelity prompted them to lend their superiors this friendly assistance at the utmost peril of their own lives. Teukava, having thus got out of the ditch, was making the best of his way unarmed to Hihifo when he was met by a native of Fiji belonging to the enemy's party.
Before we learn of the fate of Teukava, there's a fascinating story connected to Teukava, and this is the story of Elizabeth Mori. In the book, she's actually mis, uh, misnamed Eliza Mosey, but uh, her name was Elizabeth Mori, and she was actually a Palangi woman from Massachusetts. And um, how and why is she a part of Teukava's story? Well, let's talk about that. Merner says, Speaking of Teukava calls to my mind a circumstance mentioned in the report of the second missionary voyage respecting Eliza Mosey. Uh, that's not really the name. Like I said, it's Elizabeth Mori and a black woman both belonging to the American ship Duke of Portland, Captain Lovat Mellon. The date is not mentioned. Through the treachery of Teukava, the crew were all murdered, except three or four persons, among who were Elizabeth Mori and a black woman. The latter was still at the Hapai Islands when I left. She latterly became insane, but lived as a sort of domestic, being harmless, with a certain female chief who treated her kindly. This is so interesting because um, we have, you know, evidence that... Um, here we have this black woman. Uh, most likely, she was a slave brought over to the New World. Um, and also, if you remember back to um, the early episodes of this podcast, there were also black slaves that were brought from the Caribbean on the Port-au-Prince. And so I'd be so interested to know if we have any Tongan families that are connected, I mean blood families that are connected um, to these men and this one particular woman who, uh, who spent the rest of their lives in Tonga. So back to the book. Elizabeth became one of the wives of Teukava, who was much envied by the other chiefs on that account, she being a white woman. She made her escape afterwards in the Union of New York and arrived at Port Jackson where she remained. I have since accidentally heard from a woman who had been at Port Jackson that Elizabeth returned afterwards to Tonga with a ship that went for the purpose of laying in a cargo of pork, but which was shortly afterwards wrecked among the Fiji Island. In the footnotes of the Tonga book by Paul Dale, that uh, the book that I'm cross-referencing with Mariner's account, uh, he states, The American ship, the Duke of Portland, was captured by the Tongan Islanders with the assistance of a white runaway seaman by the name of Doyle, who had set himself up in Tongatapu. Only Elizabeth Mori, one old man, four boys, and a Negro woman were spared. While the ship was being dismantled for the iron she contained, the old man and the boys killed Doyle, drove the natives off the ship, cut the ship's anchor cable, made sail, and escaped to sea, leaving behind Eliza, or Elizabeth, and the Negro woman. Nothing, however, was thereafter heard of the Duke of Portland. Elizabeth became the wife of the Tongan chief Teukava and lived with him. From the Journal of Pacific History, uh, the June 1999, volume 34, number one issue, we have a story here, an article actually about Elizabeth Mori. It's called Elizabeth Mori, a castaway in Tonga, 1802-1804. So this would have been just right before Mariner arrived in Tonga. The abstract from this uh, research paper states, Elizabeth Mori is believed 
to be the first woman castaway in the Pacific Islands. The ship on which she was traveling to Portland was cut off in Tonga in 1802 and most of the crew murdered. She lived for the next two years with the chief Teukawa until she escaped heroically on the Union, which was also the subject of Tongan assault. There is evidence that Mori had borne two children in Tonga before her escape and subsequently returned to Tonga for the birth of a third. Evidence is also presented that she was American from Massachusetts, orphaned at an early age. She joined the Portland in Cape Town, probably by prior arrangement with the Portland's captain, Lovett Mellon, whose family was connected with her own. Mellon broke several laws in three jurisdictions in an apparent desperate endeavor to get to Cape Town and from there to South America, lending support to a theory of a romantic conspiracy with Maury. Initially, I had thought that the Portland, uh, similarly to the Port-au-Prince, was uh, you know, a, a ship that came to Tongatapu uh, unbeknownst to them, um, that they were going to meet hostility. But that isn't the case because we're learning, I'm learning in this research paper, that the Portland was actually, the crewmen from the Portland were involved in some of the civil wars that were going on in Tonga at the time. So it says, crewmen from the Portland joined Hihifo warriors in a successful raid on nearby opposing forces. Afterwards, Teukawa, the local chief, and his retinue spent the night aboard the Portland celebrating their victory. But Teukawa's covetousness had been aroused by the combination of success and opportunity, and he laid plans to seize the ship for its guns and iron. The next day, Teukawa sent word for the two ships' boats to be sent ashore to collect supplies the following morning, and although ordered by Captain Mellon not to do so, the mate sent two boats off before the captain was awake. Almost all the crew ashore were promptly killed, and in the attack on the ship which followed soon after, Mellon, the mate, and most of the remaining sailors were massacred. Mori, in an attempt to escape the horror, tried to jump overboard in terror, but was soon restrained by the Tongans, no doubt acting under instructions from Teugawa. The captured women, Mori and her Negro maid Eliza, were placed in the care of the chief's wife, perhaps while their fate was decided. Two non-white crewmen were spared, the captain's Malay servant known as Charlie, and a Hawaiian named Tuitui. A few young crewmen were also left alive to help to strip the ship of plunder under the supervision of Doyle, a beachcomber in service with the Hihifo chiefs. Between them, Doyle, Charlie, and Tuitui could, and probably did, at least provide some means of initial verbal communication between Elizabeth Mori and the Tongan women with whom she was housed. Although Doyle would be killed within a week, when the Portland and her handful of survivors escaped to sea, the others lived on in Tonga for some years, perhaps continuing their interpreter roles from time to time. Okay, so now we know how Tui Tui, if you remember Tui Tui, the Hawaiian, at the very beginning of the podcast, he was a Hawaiian who lived amongst the Tongan people in Hapai. And so... I think it was, I don't even remember, you guys, my memory is so bad uh, when I started the podcast and I I don't know if it was alluded to, but um, I don't remember ever recalling how Tui Tui ended up in, um, in Tonga. I think it was vaguely mentioned maybe, 
but um, this is so we're learning for the first time, at least for me, according to my memory, which is not very reliable. Uh, that this is how Tutui arrived in Tonga and had been living in Tonga uh, ever since. Uh, and so when Mariner arrived, I remember that Tutui was um, advising uh, Finau Urukalala to just kill him and to really don't leave any survivors uh, from the Porto Prince. All right, so going back to this research paper uh, that was published about Elizabeth Mori. Of Mori's time in Tongatapu and her relationship with Teukawa, very little is known. How readily and successfully she adapted to Tongan life can only be inferred from what is already known of her. From her deposition and the circumstances of her escape, she seems to have been an intelligent, strong-minded, independent-spirited woman. And if the elopement hypothesis is correct, then she was courageous as well. Like the better-known male beachcombers in similar circumstances, she would have suffered a period of fear for her future and horror at her present circumstances. These feelings would have passed into anxiety and despondency in time, and as the weeks passed into months with no hope of escape, and as she came to a workable knowledge of the language, she would have come to an acceptance of her situation and a degree of contentness. Such guesses as can be made of her personality suggest that she would have resolved sooner rather than later to make the best of what was an inescapable and reconcile herself to the inevitable. She would before long have become drawn into the usual daily routines of an aristocratic woman in Tonga, a process accelerated by her being treated with the respect due to the rank implied by Teukawa's patronage. She was given a Tongan name, Lolohea, according to Tongan tradition, and evidently learned to swim. According to Tongan genealogies and oral accounts, the union of Teukawa and Elizabeth Mori produced two sons, Maungatea and Taukeaho, most likely born in 1803 and 1804 respectively. Descendants of the former include a number of distinguished Tongans of today, but Taukeaho is believed to have left no descendants. It is possible that he died young. Accounts given during interviews conducted in Tongatapu in 1989 and 1992 included statements that Elizabeth Mori was again pregnant when she left aboard the Union in September of 1804 and that Teukaba loved the Lady Elizabeth so much he allowed her to escape and that he was present in her canoe when she did so. So let's just recap all of that. A ship named the Portland came into uh, Tonga. Um, it was involved in the civil wars that were happening at the time in, in uh, Tongatapu. And eventually, Teukawa uh, decided that he was going to take over the ship. And so aboard this ship was this American woman named Elizabeth Mori. Uh, Mariner confuses her with her black maid who was named um, Eliza. So in Mariner's book, he calls her Eliza, but she's actually Elizabeth Mori. And her maid of African descent, her name was Eliza. Okay, so um, the crew of the Portland managed to escape and left behind um, Elizabeth Mori, her maid Eliza, a Malaysian by the name of Charlie, and Tui uh, Tui the Hawaiian. Elizabeth Mori eventually becomes one of Teukawa's wives. She gives birth to two sons, 
and then a ship named the Union eventually uh, came to Tonga in 1804, and um, this is when Elizabeth Mori decided to make her escape, and so she was able to get on the Union and take off, and there is a theory in this um in this research paper that I'm referencing that actually uh, Teukava allowed her to escape. And so Teukava actually takes her out on a canoe and gets her close to the Union where she was able to jump off the canoe and swim towards the ship. And um, the captain of the ship and the crew assumed that she was Tongan because she was dressed in the, you know, the style um, uh, in a Tongan manner. And she also spoke the language, but they were very surprised that when she came on board, that she spoke perfect English and she was able to communicate with them. And so she made her escape on the Union and it arrived in Port Jackson in Australia on the 25th of October in 1804. So according to Mariner, he states in the book that she tried to return to Tonga and the ship that she was on shipwrecked in Fiji and she ended up dying in Fiji but there is another account where um, she was actually able to return to Tonga and in 1805 had her third child with Teukawa which we previously mentioned in this episode and this was a daughter and known in Tongan genealogies as Simaima and so in this uh, research paper there's a lot of speculation as to why um, you know she would escape from Tonga but then decide to go back I'm going to read this excerpt from the paper. We can never know the true circumstances of Mori's flight from Tongatapu on the Union or the extent of Teukawa's connivance. But the probability is strong that following her escape, Mori made a free and conscious decision to return to island life. Even were this hardly any choice at all, the alternatives of homeland inaccessible and Sydney unacceptable she must have had a reasonable expectation that she could return safely. It seems a confident and informed decision. The genealogical evidence of the birth of her daughter serves to confirm Mori's return to Tongatapu, but thereafter nothing further is known and it seems likely that she died soon after. No other recorded ship called at Tonga between 1805 and the arrival of the Porto Prince bearing Mariner in 1806 and another maritime departure is therefore improbable. Mariner was unaware of her return to Tonga and knew about her voyage to New South Wales only by hearsay after his own return to England. His silence about her indicates that she was no longer in Tonga by the time of his own residence, which began late in 1806. It may be presumed, therefore, that she had died by then. Okay, so this also explains why Mariner got the captain's name wrong for the Portland. And so why was Elizabeth Morey, an American from Massachusetts, was on board on the Portland? And the theory is that she had a relationship with the Captain Lovett Mellon. At the end of this research paper, there is actually a genealogy tree for Teukawa and Elizabeth Morey and all of their descendants and so um, this is how I first found out about her because about this time last year uh, I saw my Bloomfield cousins on Facebook posting uh, information about a family reunion and uh, they are the direct descendants of Moungatea uh, who was one of the sons 
mentioned in the book of uh, Teukawa and Elizabeth Mori. So this is such an interesting history. So I wanted to just throw it in there. Uh, also, just because it's a part of uh, Mariner's account. Maungatea had a daughter named Sela, who married Paul Samuel Bloomfield of Salem, Massachusetts. And this is where uh, the Bloomfield clan come from. And as mentioned before, Tauke Aho uh, probably died when he was young uh, because there's no records of uh, his descendants. And then Simaima, she also had uh, children. And so, um, and some of those surnames are Sikuea. Um, she also had a son named Sione Aho, and also uh, another son with the last name Uluwaki Hiatu. And so, if this is any of you, if you have relations to any of these names, uh, you are a part of Tongan history. So what happened to Teukawa? Let's go back to Mariner's account and find out. So as you recall, uh, Teukawa was fleeing from battle. He kind of got uh, too ahead of himself and went against the um, advice of his matapule to not spread his resources and his men um, out too thinly because he was trying to wage war against uh, another fort while trying to defend his own fort. And sure enough, as he was attacking the fort in Nukunuku, the enemy um, who retreated and it was kind of suspicious to um, Teukawa's Matapule that they would retreat so fast. But they came back, they burnt the fort down. Um, the warriors of Teukawa was barely able to escape and um, they all were pushed into a ditch. And Teukawa only got out because he was able to climb on his warriors and was able to get himself out of the ditch. And as he was trying to get himself back to Hihifo, he encountered a Fijian warrior from the enemy camp. So we continue from Mariner's account. Teukawa, having thus got out of the ditch, was making the best of his way unarmed to Hihifo when he was met by a native of Fiji belonging to the enemy's party who gave him the watchword, which he was unable to answer. And instantly, the Fiji warrior struck him so violent a blow on the head of, with his club that he buried it in his brains. The club had got so locked into the broken skull that he could not immediately withdraw it. And he probably would have left it there, but discovering what a great chief he had killed, his club from that moment became exceedingly valuable to him. The pledge, as it were, of future great successes, as long as he kept it in his possession. The triumph of his feelings therefore prevented him from seeing or hearing another man who was fast approaching, and while he was in the act of disengaging his club, his own brains were knocked out and his speculations suddenly destroyed by one of Teukawa's men, whose swiftness of foot brought him just in time to revenge his fallen chief by laying his enemy prostrate by his side. Dangers were thickening round him and he was compelled to leave the body of Teukawa on the field and secure his own existence by a speedy flight to Hihifo, where all who succeeded in making their escape quickly arrived. The body of Teukawa was soon found by the enemy and it was conveyed to their fortress, cut to pieces, 
and it must be said, dressed for food. Among the garrison of Hihifo, there was a chief named Ata. He was not an old man, but he had a great reputation for political wisdom and military skill. He was a native of the island, but at the time of revolution, his friends and acquaintance had all gone to the Ha'apai Islands for peace and safety. He, however, resolved to remain for the sake of his oldest and most sincere friend, Teukava, and to assist and stand by him to the last. For Ata was endowed also with some of the best qualities of the human heart. As Teukava was no more Ata conscious of his skill in war and the confidence which all the men placed in him, proposed to take upon himself the command of the garrison, and his offers were gladly accepted. The other garrisons of the island soon hearing of the death of Teukava and the great losses he had sustained, several of them entered into league against Hihifo, and shortly commenced a siege which lasted for fourteen days, but at length, quarreling amongst themselves and finding the besieged held out so manfully, and withal being struck with awful astonishment at the extraordinary bravery of Makapapa, who was said to be invincible by the peculiar protection of the gods. They raised the siege, and each party repaired quickly as possible to its own fortress, lest it should be taken possession by some enemy. Makapapa was formerly in the service of Toeumu, but at the peace he left Vava'u, apprehensive that Finau might play him some treachery. And if you remember, Toeumu was uh, Finau Ulukalala's aunt, and she was the chiefess of Vava'u that he went to war with and was finally able to uh, take over and conquer Vava'u. So back to Mariner's account. The widows of Teukava, however, were so afflicted at his loss that many of them, it is said, strangled themselves. And shortly after, Tupomalohi, who was in the care of Teukava, sent word to his brother Tupotoa that being weary of his unquiet and harassing life at Tongatapu and being desirous to settle at Hapai, he wished to petition the king, and the king referring to Finau Ulukalala, in his behalf and to obtain, if possible, his pardon for having fought against him at Nukualofa and to procure leave for himself and his chiefs and Matapules to reside at Hapai and be henceforth tributary to him. This message was brought to Tupotoa by a chief and two young Matapules. Tupotoa having communicated this request of his brother and his followers to Finau Ulkalala, after a little consideration, he gave consent that they should reside at the Ha'apai Island. So I'm going to reference another um, document. It's a research paper. Uh, this is called The Transformation of the Traditional Tongan Polity, which adds uh, just more context and information about this particular situation with uh, Teukava and also Tupo Malohi. When Ulkalala took over Vava'u, he started waging a war in Vava'u, which he eventually won. Uh, some of the chiefs in Vava'u, who were also related to Ulkalala, fled to Tongatapu. And while they were in Tongatapu, they uh, strengthened their opposition to Ulukalala by joining some of his uh, enemy, and in particular, Takai of Bea. And so this conflict in which uh, Teukava was caught up in the middle of uh, was uh, about the succession of um, Vaha'i. And so when Vaha'i passed away, he named Takai as his successor. And so there were other chiefs in Hehifo who weren't happy about that and so 
that was the source of this conflict. A chief by the name of Vaya, he was from, um, he was a chief of Homa, and he was on Baha'i side and supported his uh, decision to make Takai his successor. He led an assault on Hihifo, and this is where Atta was killed. Atta was, um, as I mentioned before, and then he joined forces with Takai, and then they captured the fort at Utulau, as well as the village of Matahau. And shortly after, Takai attacked the Ekiu, where Teukava, the son of Ata, was killed. And this point, uh, this was when Tupo Malohi realized that he might be the next target, Takai's next target. And so this is why he had urgently petitioned for uh, Urukalala to let him come and uh, retire peacefully in Ha'apai and under the protection of Tupoto'a. And so we have uh, a little more detail on that situation and also uh, maybe some corrections on uh, some of Mariner's recollections because if you remember correctly, he is just reciting all of this, you know, after the fact. And so uh, we have a little bit more information about that. Okay, I think this is a good time to end this episode. And in the next episode, we are going to see what happens with Tupo Malohi. Finau Ulkalala hasn't been kind and forgiving to those who turn against him. And so what's going to happen to Tupo Malohi? Is Finau Ulkalala going to turn over a new leaf because pretty much all of his enemies have been eradicated? And so maybe he doesn't feel threatened anymore. Anyway, so I want to thank all of you again for tuning in and for supporting this podcast. And I see that a lot of new listeners are just starting to uh, tune in. And so I want to welcome you all to um, the Tokyo Kamea podcast. And thank you again so much for your support. And uh, we will see you next week. <music>